Hey, first of all, I want to thank you for coming back and checking out this episode of the Insert Clever and Witty Name Here podcast, especially in light of last week's episode and knowing this week may be a little heavier than last week. Unfortunately, uh, it is going to be. Got a phone call from my sister today that what we feared was going to be the case is the case. And my dad has West Nile virus. Before I go any further, there's something I want to play for you. And at the request of my mom, I never would have thought to do this. My mom who was about as tech-savvy as my dad. <laughs> and um, maybe we'll talk more about that next week. Asked if I would go into my phone and try to pull up old voicemail messages that I may still have. And I've been pretty faithful about deleting most of them because once you get them, it's okay. They're gone. But I haven't deleted my deleted voicemail messages. So there were quite a few in here. There's one in particular I want to play for you this week. And depending on what happens in the next seven days, I may have a whole lot more for you. And next week may be a celebration of life podcast for you. But this, um, this is one of those voicemails from my dad that in a nutshell encapsulates the, um, well, one aspect of the relationship that we have. So let me play this for you off my iPhone. You know, it's funny. I was just in an email you were text you that this umpire is so inconsistent. <laughs> Look for David Roth to be ejected. And before I could send it, he got ejected. This guy's all over the place. Horrible umpiring. <laughs> That's my dad. Um, we are diehard Chicago Cubs fans to a little lesser extent, but not much. Uh, Chicago Bear fans. In fact, um, I can't remember if I've shared it on Facebook or Instagram yet, but there's a picture that my wife took of my dad, uh, my son and I at Buffalo Wild Wings here in Visalia last football season. And it's a, it's a great picture of all three of us. I know I shared one at us when Anthony, geez, was just little. It may have been the first year that we actually went to spring training in Arizona. And it may have been one of the, the, the men trips. My dad and I, years ago, and this, this all started because of my mom. My mom and my sister. And this is, I believe, when we were either all still living in the same house or shortly after my sister moved out. She's younger than I am, but she's much more mature than I am. So she moved out first. I wasn't ready. The umbilical cord wasn't long enough yet for me. So my sister moved out first. And I think it was shortly after that that my mom um, had been taking these, these trips with female friends of hers um, because we were living in California at the time. But she had a whole slew of friends from Illinois so they took a girl's trip. And if I remember this correctly, they took that girl's trip for a couple of years. And my dad would stay home and golf with buddies and do things around the house. And the first time they had ever done anything like that, for the most part, they always took their vacations together. 
So she took this girl trip a couple years, and then one year it wasn't going to happen. So my sister and my mom decided to take a girl's trip. And I'm like, all right, forget this noise. If my sister and my mom can take a girl's trip, there's nothing that says my dad and I can't take a trip. So I thought, okay, what do we love to do? Well, uh, we like talking sports. We love watching sports. Let's go to spring training. Let's go to Arizona. And we went every single year for the longest time, even after my sister and my mom stopped doing their girls' trip because I'm not sure why it stopped, honestly. I think probably my sister um, had things pop up in her life, and um, she got married much, much sooner than I did. Again, because she matured (laughs) much, much sooner than I did. Uh, We had a very difficult conversation recently where I said it's, and I'll explain this in just a little bit, but where I was coming from in the conversation was coming from a place of being naive and much more immature than my mom and my sister. But I may have had girlfriends, but I've only been engaged once, only been married once, and this was years before I even met my my wife. So my dad and I, every year, we went on this trip to Arizona for spring training. It was just us, and we would always time it out there would always be one day that we wouldn't, uh, the Cubs wouldn't be playing. Because even during spring training, you know, with the contract they have, the Players Association and the league, there is one off day for all the teams. And we would always go, and it just seemed we would always catch that off day, which was perfect because then we would also go golfing. And there were times, for the most part, I was living in Las Vegas at the time, so I would drive from Las Vegas to Phoenix Uh, Mesa, technically, is where the Cubs had their spring training facility at the time. I think it's still in Mesa, just a different facility. Um, I think it was only maybe one year, possibly two, maybe just one, that I made the trip from Illinois. So it was bags on an airplane, uh, golf bags. Um, And then my dad drove because they were living in Paso Robles at the time. And we met up there. He picked me up at the airport. Um, one of us would cover whatever the hotel was for the week or so we were there. The other one would pay for all the, the tickets, for all the games, and then whatever we ate and drank at the games. Uh, we split meals, and so financially it was pretty much right down the middle. But we did that every year. Um my dad because I I think there may be some who are wondering why this is affecting me as much as it is Um, maybe and and maybe I'm, I'm out in left field on this and everyone gets exactly why it's affecting me as much as it is for anyone who is wondering what Death is a part of life, and I get that. I know that. But it is affecting me as much as it is because my dad and I just have that type of relationship. I can't remember if I said it in a previous episode. But um, my dad is a pessimist. Pessimist. You heard it in the the voicemail I played back a moment ago. 
And there are times, me being a much, much, much more optimistic person, to a fault at times, I certainly don't get that from my dad, if that's something that you can get from your mom or dad. I'm much more optimistic about things, even more so than my mom, come to think of it. But my dad um, and I would, would go round and round about sports in particular and it got to a point and again I apologize if this is a repeat of something I've said in the past couple of weeks I'm talking about him that I told him I don't want to talk about sports with him anymore it's just it's it's too grating on me it's bringing me down and I don't like having that mindset of being so negative about everything so I said you know I, I just I don't want to do it I just don't want to talk about sports with you anymore we'll talk about other things I, I don't know what else but we'll find something else and he pointed out at the time uh, the relationship that we had he said well what else are we going to talk about sports is all we talk about when I talk about sports with you that's how we're connecting and um, we've connected on a lot of other things since then uh, politics being one of them. He loves talking politics. Um, and sports, obviously, and, and just other things. Whatever happens to be on his mind about things that he thinks I may share an interest with him on it. But my dad was the best man at my wedding. My wife is very traditional. That's not supposed to be done. Uh, the way it is supposed to be done is her brother, since she has an older brother and I have a younger sister and we each only have those siblings, that her brother should have been my best man. Her, my sister should have been her maid, uh, maid of honor because my sister um, was married at the time. And is married again, but now to someone else. Um, that's just the way it's supposed to be. I was told this is that, that's that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it it's it, it is right. And I said, new. No. <laughs> that's not the way it's gonna be. Um, no offense to your brother, I said, but um, I have someone else in mind. Well, who who are you gonna have in mind? And one of my, my dearest, bestest friends in the whole world at the time, John Young, who I was doing a morning show with. And we moved from uh, Salinas, California, to Peoria, Illinois, together to take our show on the road and, and conquer the world. Um, I, I mean, I confided everything in him, and I, I believe you know, the reverse is also true. But it wasn't going to be John either. I, I knew. I don't know why I knew, but I knew that my dad was going to be my best man. And he seemed shocked when I told him. I should say when I asked him, because I, I asked him, would you be my best man? Um, and, and for me, it was, it w- <laughs> it was a no-brainer. I mean, there was no question. As close as John and I were at the time, it, it, yeah. 
had my dad not been in my life or had my dad and I not been as close as we were, then, yeah, I don't know, I, I probably would have fought harder to, again, no offense to my brother-in-law, not have him as my best man, but have John. Um, but that's, that's what I decided to do. And I don't know how many people you know, how many men you know that are married, have been married, and have had their father be their best man. I've, I've never heard of it. In fact, um, you know, Michael Neal, who I work with on, on my 97.5, and Randy, who was my boss, they both um, DJ at weddings uh, quite a bit, actually. Something I've always been asked about doing, and I, I've done one. I've done a grand total of one, and I've got no intentions of doing more. Um, and maybe I'll get into that at some point. But I should ask them at some point if they've ever had the experience of the groom having his father as the best man. I, I can't imagine it happens very often, if at all. I'm sure it has happened. I'd be shocked if it hasn't. But it was it was something that I'd never seen done. But you know, I'm not trying to be a trendsetter or anything, but that's was a no-brainer for me with the relationship that we had at the time, and it took a while to grow to that point. And because of COVID-19, that relationship grew even more this past year. I think if you know me and you listen to my mornings with Mike Pesto on my 97.5, you know that I take these walks after the show every day. Um, half hour, 45 minutes, whatever it is, stationed is at 700 East Mineral King in Visalia, which is right next to GA Motorsports. It's three, four blocks away from the eastern edge of downtown Visalia on Main Street, so I'll walk from the station uh, various different ways I'll take to get there, but I'll always end up on Main Street, and I'll walk sometimes all the way down to Redwood, and then circle back. Sometimes uh, I'll walk up close to the Oval and come back, and it's something that I started doing a while back to get myself into shape. I got an Apple Watch from my wife as a birthday present a few years back, and if you have an Apple Watch or anything like that, a Fitbit, it, it sometimes it yells at you <laughs> if you're not doing enough stuff to stay physically active. But with the Apple Watch, you have these three rings. There's a stand ring, so you're supposed to stand 12 hours a day. Uh, then you have a um, an exercise ring, which is in minutes. How many minutes a day you actually are doing something that it considers exercise, whether it's tracking you through the GPS, whether it's monitoring your heartbeat, whatever it is. It can figure out, oh, okay, this, this, whatever he's doing right now, it must be an exercise. And based on what you're doing, the watch can sometimes kind of guess if you're walking or if you're running or if you're running in place, well, you must be indoor on a treadmill or something. And it'll ask you every once in a while, hey, it looks like you're doing this. Do you want to log your exercise, yes or no? And then it has the, um, the move ring, which is basically just monitoring how many calories you burn over the course of your exercising throughout the day. So in an effort to close my rings every single day, or at least come close by the time the afternoon rolls around, I take these long walks, getting close to 10,000 steps every day. 
And at first I was just doing them and letting my mind wander and decompress after the show and maybe mentally get ready for the next show, think about things I want to talk about. And then COVID hit, and I realized how isolated my parents were. Um, I don't know how seriously they took it in the beginning, but after I got it, they definitely seemed to take it more seriously. So once I was clear to go back to work after my two weeks in recovery and all that fun stuff, doing the show from home, which was not fun in the least, I'm definitely one that not very good at social distance working. I need to be there with the camaraderie of others, but to each their own. So I get back to work and I get back in the flow of things and in realizing how isolated my folks are with my sister in Boston and my nephew going to Sacramento State and another nephew still living there in Paso, but he's working like a dog, that my folks are quarantining now more than they did before because of my diagnosis and with both of my parents having underlying health conditions, they don't want to get this. So I started calling them every day. Just talk about anything, just whatever it was. And that I, I realized something. When you talk to someone every day, you really get into the nuance of, of their day and who they are and feelings about everything. And it's not just a... Um, Cliff's note version of your lives if you only talk once a week. It's it, it, that it's it's almost like I don't know if you've ever had any friends of yours or maybe you do it, the Christmas letters that you get every year. Where oh yeah, well this is what our family did this year. We took this trip, we had this high, we had this low, this is what went on, and hopefully you all had a great year as well. Merry Christmas, happy new year. When you talk with someone once a week and that's it, that's kind of what you get. But instead of a year, hey, so how was your week? Well, I did this, I did this. Well, how about you? Well, I did this, I did this. Okay, well, I'll catch up again next week. Love you, bye. When you talk every day, it's, you know, it's more, much more nuanced. So my dad and I really started opening things up and not just talking sports anymore. Although, again, <laughs> like you heard with the voicemail message earlier, Sports was definitely first and foremost that we would talk about. In fact, there, there were times when I know if the, uh, if the Cubs had lost a game and it was an ugly game, I, I would know I don't want to call my dad today, but I'm going to because I know he's looking forward to this call. I'm looking forward to the call, but it's going to be a not fun part of the conversation. There are times I would say, I don't want to talk about the game yesterday. All right, but let me just say one thing. <laughs> And then sure enough, we spend most of the conversation talking about the game or, again, talking about politics or other things that he would have questions about, whether it be with technology. And next week, uh, there's another voicemail message I want to play for you. I don't know if I'll play the whole thing, but that voicemail message just encapsulates everything that is my dad. So I want to share that with you next week. So we did that every single day, Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends, I would try to make sure that we all call and do FaceTime or Zoom or, or whatever it is that was more comfortable for them and for us to do on our end so that they could see the kids um, and, and have you know, a quick conversation for me, but that they could also talk to my wife. And, and, and yeah. 
All that is probably going to be changing here in the next few days. I don't, I don't know if I said it earlier in this podcast or in a previous one, but my dad, uh, we thought, we were told, uh, after a diagnosis of um, pneumonia, and then a diagnosis of bacterial uh, meningitis. In fact, I think that was the title of one of my podcasts a week or so ago. We have a diagnosis, acute bacterial meningitis. That was wrong. We now know it does have meningitis. It's not bacterial. It's viral, which is worse because it's a viral meningitis brought on by West Nile. So my dad has West Nile virus, which I didn't know much about. The only thing I think I may have known, and I've been talking with my wife and my mom about this, I don't know if this is true or if this is something else, another virus you can get from mosquito bites. But I seem to recall hearing years ago that, and this was the only symptom I knew with West Nile, again, if it was West Nile or not, that if a woman is bit by a mosquito with West Nile and she gets West Nile from that mosquito, that she can be infertile. Well, I always joke, well, I ain't never going to have a baby anyway, so if I get bit by a West Nile mosquito, what do I care? Well, apparently... Um, Either I was mistaken, and that's not West Nile, or that's the least of your worries. Because with what my dad has, he has not uttered a word to anyone in two weeks now. Um, I'm torn on whether I hope he's cognizant and aware of what's going on and because of the meningitis is just unable to speak because there are times he'll he just well first of all spends hours with his eyes closed doesn't respond interact with anyone you're in there yelling his name or not and then there are other times he'll He'll, he'll perk up, he'll open his eyes, and he'll, he'll fixate on a point in space and just kind of stare at that point. And you, you try to step in between that point and his eyes and hopefully get his attention. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Uh, but he always seems to go back with his eyes to wherever that point is, and that point can change throughout the day. Um, but I don't know for certain. It's There's a selfish part of me that wants to think he's seeing me. He is looking at me. He does hear me. But if he sees me and he hears me, that means he also understands to some degree what's going on. And can you imagine that? I mean, it's... 
is like the worst Stephen King novel you can possibly think of. I wrote years ago, I forget what I called it, a short story that was kind of like that, where someone was, I think it was called Coma, where someone was in a coma, but they were completely awake. But for whatever reason, they could not move their mouth, open their eyes, move any single part of their body, but they were 100% mentally aware of everything going on. What a nightmare that would be. And hearing decisions being made about you based on what you see. Um, with my dad, we see that he's on a ventilator. And, and I didn't know this. Or maybe I did. And just something I don't think about on a regular basis. But it's it's highly advised that patients only go on a ventilator for two weeks. I saw the video of, of what happens with the ventilator. The tube goes down your throat and into your windpipe and goes down as close as it can to the point where your windpipe branches off into your two lungs. doesn't want to go too far because then you're only going down one and only getting benefit to one lung and having CO2 removed from one lung, and you don't want it too high because you know that almost defeats the purpose of having the ventilator. So you get it right to that sweet spot, and then there's like a little balloon that inflates to keep the, the tube in place right where it is. Well, over time, that balloon, if you will, for lack of a better word, starts you know, through friction, doing damage to the interior of that windpipe. And from what my cousin Chris told me, that can't be repaired. Uh, I don't know if the body doesn't repair it, or it made it sound like surgically it can't be repaired. Maybe the body can over time. I, that I don't know. Maybe it can't. Let's just assume for a moment that it can't. That damage is done. And that seems to happen. They, they know with most patients around that two-week point at that point, and, and another thing that Chris brought up is that the um, the body may start actually putting cells around that that balloon and adhering it to the windpipe. In which case, when you pull it out, you're actually ripping part of the vocal cords or the yeah the the windpipe with it, not the vocal cords, and that's obviously not good. So tomorrow is two weeks. Wednesday, if you typically do listen to me um, with my mornings on the new My 97.5, you will not hear me Wednesday morning. Tuesday, shortly after I finish things up at the station, I will be driving the you know, hour plus, almost two hours to Templeton and going to the hospital. Well, actually, that Tuesday, I'll just probably be... Well, I'm, I, if I can make it in time, I'll get to the hospital and spend some time with my dad. Um, 
hopefully maybe have some some time just the two of us to talk with him because first thing Wednesday morning when we get to the hospital we'll be there with the doctor and the respiratory therapist and whoever else needs to be in the room and the machine will be turned off and um, the tube will be removed And we had been holding out hope. You know, all the doctors were saying, you know, this looks like West Nile. There's one doctor there, uh, Dr. Dixon. And the doctors at Tenant Health have been great in being as honest with us to a fault, uh, but still being honest with us. Um, and that's, that's all we wanted is honesty. And he told us, he said, listen, I, I've done a lot of, work in Southern California and I've worked on a lot of West Nile patients you know, around your father's age and what I'm seeing in this bed in front of me this is West Nile this is West this is what West Nile can do um, it's not pretty <laughs> um, I liken it to um, Alzheimer's in a sense and, that I've, and I've heard this expression for anyone that loses to someone with Alzheimer's or dementia or anything like that that you lose that person twice and I guess that's probably true of anyone who suffers a traumatic injury or illness in this case and is not aware for a portion of it so they're not aware at whatever point they're not aware for my dad it's been two weeks or so but they're still still there they still open their eyes they're still breathing my dad's heart while he does have AFib and he does have a leaky valve and has some other issues his heart's fine his blood pressure is great um, so his vitals look good. His breathing, his vitals look good with that because he has the assist of a respirator. So you lose someone twice because for a time they're no longer who they were. Whether in my dad's case he can't verbalize at all. I mean, heck, you ask him to squeeze your hand as, as it looks like he's staring right at you and you'll say dad just squeeze my hand my hand is in your hand just squeeze my hand and there's nothing you don't you don't even see the look in his eyes as though he understands what you're asking but he's struggling to do it there's just no nothing that tells you understands the words that he's saying in that moment and I guess non-selfishly speaking, I hope that's the case. I pray that's the case, that once the meningitis gained a foothold on him, neurologically speaking, that he has no, no knowledge of any of this. He hasn't, he hasn't been aware, truly aware, of what's going on. Because again, going back to that story I wrote years ago, that coma story, 
can't imagine the nightmare he must be living if he is aware that he, in his mind, he's screaming, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm with you, but my mouth is not cooperating, my hands are not cooperating. I've even asked him in what seems to be his most lucid moments, hey, Dad, just, just I, I know it's difficult, just blink. Just close your eyes as tight as you can for a second and then open them back up and nothing. So, Wednesday, and again, hopefully Tuesday, I'll get down there early enough I can spend some time, just the two of us together, and, and tell them a bunch of things that I just want to say to him. <sighs> Tell him how great of a dad I always thought he was. And that I hope I can do him proud the way that. <sighs> I'm trying to be there for my son. And I don't want to say goodbye to him. There's, and this, this is what kind of goes back to me being naive and being me being immature. I, um, we had, we had a very intense conversation this past weekend. This is before we knew definitively it is West Nile. All we knew for certain is that it is meningitis. Lab results had been sent to a facility in Washington State and results could be back as early as Monday. And we did get the results earlier today that it was indeed West Nile. But we had the conversation about, okay, so what do we do? And, um, It 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 got ugly. <laughs> there were there's some very raw feelings there, and um, it took a while getting through that minutia to arrive at the point I think we all were, but we just we we had to fish through some other things. And and <laughs> kind of speak each other's languages, in in how we were talking about things. To to get to the point we could have an honest to goodness conversation about okay, so let's assume for a moment it's West Nile. We've already been told by the doctors there's no cure for West Nile. You treat individual symptoms as best you can, but it's a viral infection and. There are no antiviral medications uh, for most things to say nothing of West Nile. In fact, I, I, I'll have to research this a little bit more at some point. I'm sure I will, but I, I don't believe there are any true antiviral remedies for anything. I don't think. I could be wrong if I am. Email me. I love being told that I'm wrong. Uh, MikePesto at me.com. But... We finally got to that part of the conversation where all the, the raw emotion and the hurt 
was done coming out. So, okay, so what do we do? And every doctor that we had talked to said, you do not want him going into a long-term facility because we don't know, one, how long it's going to take for his body to, to fend this off. He has some other issues, as I mentioned. And he's you know, not a young guy. He's 81 years old, and he's lived every moment of those 81 years. So as, as painful as it was, I, I, I think we were all in agreement that we didn't want him on any device indefinitely. If, if we had been told by the doctors, listen, he, he is on the path, he's looking good, and, and maybe, maybe Wednesday we will be told this, if he makes miraculous improvement, and God, I swear to God, I believe that he does do miracles, and this could be one of them if God decides that he wants to have his presence be known in this way. And if he doesn't, I'm not going to hold that against God for a single second. But he could, at any moment, start flushing that meningitis out of his system, away from his brain and, and out of his, his spinal fluid. And if the doctors tell us, hey, listen, we're, we're seeing improvement. I mean, we, we have to take him off the ventilator. But in, in six months, I, I think, based on what we're seeing at this point, he could be back with you. We may change what we're thinking. But unless we get that, um, based on what I've heard from my cousin Chris, um, who was a nurse, and I, I trust him with things of this nature, and the doctors that we've talked to. We even spoke with uh, Dr. Boken here in Visalia. He's an uh, infectious disease specialist in Tulare County, specifically about West Nile. And again, confirmed, there are no uh, there's no e efficacy, I think that's the term he used, for any treatments that he's aware of. There, are, I mean, it's like anything else. You go to third world countries and they swear they have a cure for everything. And they, they swear they have cures for, for this, and, but nothing's been proven to be effective uh, and may be damaging to other parts of your body. So since there is no cure, no treatment, and if we're told by the doctors, no, he's, he's, he's really not showing the improvement. If, if you want, we will put him on a trach, which, you know, then the, the tube goes into his neck. And then he's still on a ventilator, but now it's not going through his mouth anymore. It's going there. And since you're using every bit of that upper body for breathing, then you have to have a plug in your side so that the feeding tube goes directly into your stomach indefinitely. Um, again, if there was a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel, if we were told nine months from now, there's a 50-50 chance he'll still be with us. And not only still be with us, but well on his road to recovery. But again, then everyone's told us the longer you stay in those facilities, the better chance you have of pneumonia, of blood clots, of bed sores, of, and the list goes on. So no one that we've spoken to has advocated for that 
approach um, without there being a, a set time of three months, six months, nine months, whatever it is, and we just we're not hearing that from any of the doctors. It's not showing up improvement. So Wednesday morning, around 10-ish, I'm guessing, when visiting hours begin, we'll be in that room, second floor of tenant health, and I, I will be in there. I don't know if my sister or my mom will, but I will be in there when they turn off the ventilator. And when the tube is removed, and I'll be holding his hand, and he'll be still hooked up to the machine to see what his vitals are doing. And um, I lost it. I just, I, I started bawling this past weekend and thinking about that. I even said this to my mom and my sister when we were having the conversation about what next. I said, if we do this, I just, I, I want you to know that I, I know what it means, that the West Nile, the meningitis is killing him, but what will ultimately kill him is going to die. He's going to die of asphyxiation. He's going to suffocate. So he's going to, <laughs> he's going to be there. struggling to breathe, fighting to breathe. And he's not going to be able to. Or, and then this is what, again, this is where my, my naiveness, my immaturity comes in. That's where he and God shocked the hell out of all of us. And he struggles but breathes. Um, in which case, he stays in the hospital as long as he is allowed to, and then um, we get whatever care he needs at home. And he's taken home with my mom, and whether it's a nurse living there with her and him, making sure that he has round-the-clock care or she comes on a daily basis. Um, you know, we help him fight until it looks like he's not fighting anymore, and we're told it's it, at that point it turns into hospice care. It's just making him comfortable until his body decides this is it. And if that happens before next week, uh, next week's podcast will definitely be a celebration of his life. And I may even have my wife on and maybe even my kids and tell stories and I'll play more voicemail messages, especially that one that I, I, I'll share with you either way probably next week. That just really, when I hear it, and I forgot that I had it. I'm so glad that I do. I'll never delete it. Uh, it just, I, I, I started crying when I first heard it because I heard his voice. And then I was hearing what he was saying, and I started laughing a little bit. And then when it got past the initial message, I 
I probably busted up laughing. I'm like, that's my dad. That's that's him. That <laughs> if there's one voicemail message that covers who he is, that's it. So I'll share that with you next week. Um thank you for indulging me the past few weeks with these stories of my dad. This has been more beneficial for me, I'm sure, than it has been for you. Um, and for any family or very close friends that are listening, if if you want any more clarity, you probably have my number. And anyone that wants to follow the latest, I usually update everything on Facebook and Instagram or, again, you can email me, Mike Pesto, M-I-K-E-P-E-S-T-O, at M-E dot com. <sighs> so, please keep praying. If praying isn't your thing, sending positive energy for my mom, my sister, for me, but most importantly for my dad, because I, being as naive as I am, I'm I'm not willing to say the fight's over yet. I'm not going to do it. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and this may be one of those times he wants to say, hey, you want a sign that I'm still with you? Look what I just did with George, my dad. Thanks again for listening, and we will um, reconvene hopefully with some good news, some miraculous news next week.